Kirsten, uh, should we start recording the, the next episode? No, but, but, but Twitter. Uh, but what, what is happening with Twitter? But all the notifications. I'm tweeting. I've, I'm on three different accounts. This is so stressful. Ah! And relax a bit. Relax. Breathe. I'm just coming back from the telescope and I'll be absolutely crazy. And believe me, it is not healthy. <laughs> How are you so zen right now? Uh, I have to. If not, I will die. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put the phone down. Yes, because we have very interesting things to be talking about in this episode. We do indeed. I, I've done a bit of research and I'm very excited that today's episode will be about the amazing women in astronomy. Yoo-hoo, many things to tell about that. Mm-hmm. Other than me, of course. Ah, uh, of course. <laughs> Other than you, but you are just starting. Which That's is, right. Which is good, which is good. Hello, I'm Angel Lopez Sanchez. And I'm Kirsten Banks. And, and we, we are, are the, the Scientists. scientists. <laughs> So, first up for our episode this lovely Thursday, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Ah, yes. Ah, what's up? That is mine. <laughs> that is me. That is me. Sorry. Ah, yes. And perhaps I'm still a bit sleepy. Uh, anyway, yes. Uh, we are going to be talking about women in astronomy. Mm-hmm. And really, i really hoping to be listening to all the things that Christine is going to be telling us about that. Although I will try also to add a bit of things because I think it is very important for everyone to try to first get in the understanding of the huge amount of contribution that many women in astronomy have done, and in science in general, but talking about astronomy in particular, they have done in in the past, and the majority of those findings and research and contributions perhaps haven't been recognized as they should be, and it is something that we all have to do. And I'm talking about not only women, but men. Everyone has to give the proper credit to whoever is giving the discovery of the contribution to that part of our culture, of our research, of whatever it is. Mm. That is what we are going to try to do today. And that is why I thought that perhaps a good idea would be to choose an object that was discovered by a woman. What object is that? The Horsehead Nebula. I love that nebula. It's so cute. It is a little horse head. Yeah, very, very cute. Very difficult to see, actually. Mm. It is an object that I will recommend to get a photo of it. And I can say that, well, before jumping to this, let's say, it was discovered by Williamina Fleming. She was a Scottish astronomer that uh, she moved to uh, to the US and working uh, in Harvard Observatory, first as a secretary in some way. And she was in charge of an amazing group of women that uh, were the computers at Harvard, that they did amazing discoveries and that we are going to be talking about about that later. She found the Horsehead Nebula studying photographic plates that they were taking from, from Harvard Observatory, one of the many photographic plates that they took in 1988. Um, well, from there, the Horsehead Nebula, it is also called the Barnard 33 at 1500 light year away. What? Yeah, that's pretty far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it is far away. But as I was trying to say before, it is not an object for observing with our own eyes, 
but it is very easy to get in Photograph. Okay, so I've struggled to point this thing at point I'm like my telescope that I have at Sydney Observatory at this thing. And you I will not see it. see it. You yeah. will not see it. Okay, cool. You will not see it. I'm glad you... I'm not going crazy. No, 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 no. You will not see it. It is a very faint object mm. for Seb directly. Mm-hmm. I have seen it only a couple of times, only in very dark places. And usually, yeah, the two, two, the two times that I saw it was using one of these filters of light pollution and so to try to reinforce the emission of the gas. Yep. Oxygen-3 filter with a very large telescope. And right. 10 inches or larger. You have one of those at Sydney Observatory. We have 16 inches, yeah. but we're in the middle of the city. <laughs> exactly. You have plenty of light pollution. You will never get to see it in Sydney. You will be able to, to get a photograph of it through that telescope with the, with the filter. Yes. But you will never be able to see it. Damn. I guess I'll just have to go to Siding Spring sometime soon uh, and see it for myself. Exactly. <laughs> but as I was saying, you can take a photo. If you are in a dark place and you have a standard lenses... Standard lenses with a DSLR mm. camera and you just point it to Orion and leave it half a minute to a minute. Yep. Although you will probably see the trails of the stars. But, yeah, by that time. But mm. at the same time, you will also see not only Orion Nebula very bright, but in the eastern part of the Orion belt, Alnitak, that is the name of the star, just around there, a bit to the south. It is where the Horsehead Nebula is located. And you will see a really slightly thin patch of red that is the Horsehead Nebula. Beautiful. Beautiful. Although, of course, it is even much beautiful if you can see an image from a professional telescope of Hubble Telescope, mm. seeing all the details of the dust that is in that nebula. Right? It's a dark nebula, meaning that it's anything around it shining in order that you can see the gas and the dust emitting light. Right, so it doesn't, it doesn't emit its own light, it, it reflects the light. It doesn't emit or reflect. It oh. doesn't emit or reflect. It is just dark. Okay. But it is in front of another nebula, Oh. which is behind, it is a bit farther away, that is illuminated by a, another very massive star, Sigma Orionis, yep. that is around the area. And that is why we can see uh, the so, Horsehead Nebula. So the actual Horsehead is an actual dark nebula with like, gas in front of... The red stuff behind that's exactly, lit up by another star. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Finally, I exactly, know about it. Exactly. <laughs> so many times I've been asked why it's like that, and some people think, "Oh, maybe it's just a gap in the cloud." I'm like, mm, no, I don't think so. Don't think so. But is, now I know. Excellent. It is. It is not a gap. It is just the dust. It, it also mm. happens in other very famous nebula, Orion Nebula, the bar and the entry, the gap mm-hmm. that it has, the black part there, it is just dust belonging to the very same Orion Nebula, mm-hmm. but a bit in front of. Yeah. The Trifid Nebula also have these kind of three things, that is why Trifid, <laughs> three things of dust coming together in the more or less in the center. And again, it is just the dust. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it I is. I love space. But Christine, we have been talking about the WhatsApp section, but we have not said anything about the feedback we have received. Feedback. Yeah. Yes, feedback. 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 We have feedback. Yeah, we have feedback. Actually, a lot of feedback. We are not going to answer all of feedback. So I have three things here. Uh, the very first, it is we have to thank our friends in Radio Skylab, the podcast, for suggesting us to follow us. I'm so touched right now. Yeah. This is so amazing. It's so amazing. So thank you, Victor, Victor, Daniela and Gabby for suggesting us. Uh, believe us that you did a lot of good in our account, many new listeners. Although Paul Kirsten is a bit frustrated because it is everything in Spanish. So we need more 
followers on tweet in English. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I've been able to click on the translate and I think it does okay. I understand the main thing. So I was able to reply to some of them and I hope they can do the same thing to translate it into Spanish. Yeah, that, 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 that's good. That it was interesting to see some of them saying, oh, it is a pity that you are doing that in, in English and not in Spanish because we want to follow you. Well, I'm actually doing this in English because it is important also for, for, for us here mm. and to publicize astronomy in English, particularly here in Australia. Yes. So it is just a compliment. So thank you. Thank you very much. And we wish we will be able to get to the many millions, millions of followers as you have. So <laughs> famous there. So thank you again. The other two quick things that I'm going to say, and then I will give all the microphones to Christine to start talking about women in astronomy. Mm -hmm. It is that uh, as I was as crazy last uh, two, two weeks ago with all the observations and whatever I want to forget at the moment, I didn't uh, start the poll in Twitter about what do you think about the uh, classification of the galaxies that we were discussing in the previous episode. Mm. And we are going to do it now. Yes. So at the moment, we released that. And on the same time, please continue suggesting us names of star clusters because we still have the episode to talk about star clusters and continue sending your questions. Thank you. I guess it's over to me now. Yeah, it is your. Okay, so as we mentioned earlier in the episode, we are going to be talking about the women in astronomy today in light of International Women's Day, which we happened to release our previous episode on International Women's Day. We just didn't realize that that was the same date since we were both so hectic in our lives then. Yeah, well, we have to start thinking a bit in perspective. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But we're going to take today to celebrate all the women in astronomy. And we're going to start off by going way, way back to the first astronomers. Now, usually the first astronomers of who were women, weren't actually called necessarily scientists or astronomers, but instead they were called the philosophers or the priestesses. So there's what well, the first one dates back in Sumer in 2354 BCE. Uh, and I think if I say her name correctly, it's N. Heduana. Haduana. Haduana. There Hadwana. we go. Thank you. And essentially she was known as she who is the chief ornament of heaven. Ooh. It was very exciting. I've read a bit of her work and it's amazing what she did. She was able to uh, study the lunar calendar and how the moon traveled through the sky over the whole entire year and linked that to the seasons. So she was really one of the first astronomers to actually look at the sky and take meaning from the sky and the ground and see how it all works out, looking at the sun, the moon, the stars, and linking that with the seasons as well. And on top of that, I think to remember, it is the older woman that we have a record that she did something or she wrote something by herself. Yes. So Adwana is actually, we, we know not many things about her, of course, because it is a long, long time ago. But uh, the information that we have been able to collect from the ancient Babylonians, mm -hmm. it is that. So she has to be a very important person in her society to be able being woman to be doing all what she did mm. and she wasn't just an astronomer or a priestess in this way she did everything she wasn't just an influential astronomer but a prolific literary figure as well mm. and she even wrote her own poems and about 42 of them and they were known as shakespeare of sumeria oh, okay mm. Mm, which is quite quite nice Among other things, uh, her role in society and the life of her people 
was really included in those poems. So she was quite an advocate for her people as well, it seems. That's good. Mm -hmm. Mm. But moving on to a bit further into the first and second century, we go to ancient Greece. And we have Aglanice of Thessaly. Um, but she was known, she was so famous in her time that she was a subject of an ancient Greek proverb as the moon obeys Aglanice. Aglanice? I'm, uh, I'm butchering this word, I'm sure. Aglanice of Thessalia. That's it. That is Aglanice of Thessalia. Aglanice. Yeah, I have the, how do you call this? The sheep cheat? Cheat sheet? Cheat sheet. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and she, they basically, she studied the moon and was able to predict precisely when eclipses and the moon, where the position of the moon would be. She would precisely predict that. And back in those days, that would have been like a sorceress. Yeah, it was, it was really, really important for that moment because we mentioned in our episode talking about eclipses mm -hmm. that many people in the ancient cultures, they really feared eclipses. So coming in a way of predicting that that was going to happen, of course, that was sorcery. Mm, exactly. Because back then, obviously, we still have the same sort of brains now, a bit more evolved potentially. But you look up at the sky, you can create patterns. You mm. can see patterns from night to night. Quite easily see these things happening, like the moon phases and position of the moon, when it comes up, when it goes down. These things are very easily recorded mm -hmm. in day-to-day -day life. Well, even I was watching um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales the other week, and there's an ast a woman astronomer in there as well, and she's called a witch in everything because just because she knows things about the stars, she was called a witch because back set back in those days of ancient Britain. Of course, yeah, that that is the 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 idea. Mm. If she knows been... things, she must be a witch. Of course, of course, that mm. ha that have been the idea that have been there for many 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 years, and that is why. It is changing now and we really have to get into the understanding that it doesn't matter if you are a man or a woman. Mm. You can do amazing things for science or for whatever you want to do. Exactly. But moving a bit further on in our timeline, women in science were actually also the assistants and instrumentalists. So they would help out with the telescopes and you know, be the astronomer's assistant getting like work experience, like I would come in here to the AAO in my summer, getting that work, sort of work experience sort of thing. And Maria Kirch is one. Have you heard of Maria Kirch? I think I have, but uh, can you go a bit further? Because I, I'm not sure if it is the one I'm thinking about. Right. So Maria Kirch was born on the 25th of February in 1670, and her interest in astronomy uh, from a young age encouraged her father to begin educating her because he believed that young girls should deserve the same level of education given to boys. If only he could come out a bit earlier and advocate yeah. that mm -hmm. earlier in the day. Women were not allowed to attend universities in Germany at the time, so she was German. And But together with her father, and she was able to hold the position of her husband's assistant at this time. Mm. So together their astronomical research allowed them to make valuable contributions. So they produced calendars, um, almanacs, they recorded weather data, and also use the moon, the phases, and the positions of the planets for navigation. Okay. So they did was, quite a lot of research. That was good. And that was in the 17th century, right? In the 17th century. And then I think... 17th to 18th century. Okay. I'm not completely sure if it is the one I'm thinking about. Mm. In but 1702, she became the first woman to discover a comet. Oh, mm. good. No, de definitely it is not. Okay. 
uh, the comet of 1702. So C slash 1702 H1 is huh. what the comet is called. Mm, very good, creative. Very creative. Yeah. Very creative be, name. Be, very good. Very mm. good. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually she had to completely discontinue all of her astronomical research due to the complaints of the members of the Royal Academy of Sciences that she was too prominent of a figure in their events. It is a shame. Mm. It is a big shame. And, and I'm so angry that this thing has happened throughout the history so, so many times. It's awful. It is, it is really, really bad. Just Again. because a woman's doing well doesn't mean you have to put it down. No, no, just, no, no, no. no. That's why I'm glad that it's better now. You are learning things because these women are contributing to getting a better understanding of the universe. That is all. Exactly, exactly right. Now on to the early astronomers. The early astronomers like Caroline Herschel. Yeah, I know that well, yes. Mm-hmm. 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 Caroline Herschel was a highly decorated astronomer in 1828. Yeah. She was the first woman to be awarded the gold medal of the Royal Astronomical Society. That's really oh, cool. That is good. That is good. Yes. Go Caroline. Yeah. Go Caroline. Um, so she, it is interesting because she's a bit known because of her brother. Exactly. The work she did with her brother with William. counting the stars yes. in the Milky Way. For many years, the idea was that she was a bit more his assistant. Mm, okay. So going not back to that, the assistant sort of thing again. Yeah. Not, not that she was actually doing discoveries and research mm-hmm. in some way or discovering new things in the in the universe or in the sky. In those times, we still didn't know many things about the different objects in, in the sky, just finding them and we were able to uh, locate them and know what they might be. Mm. And she was one of the first doing that, also looking for comets. Right. I didn't know that. That is why I thought or many people think that it was Karen Herscher the first women astronomer to discover a comet. Mm. And I'm surprised that it wasn't. No, the lady from before, her name is Maria Kirch, the first woman to discover a comet. Comet. Good. Mm. But continuing on with Caroline, I guess if she was an assistant, but she also helped with counting stars and positioning of the stars, she was basically basically a computer. Yep. Which is... Not like the computers you have today, of course, that sit in front of your sc- in front of you on your desk, but back in the day, computers were referred to as women who did the calculations for NASA, uh, even at Sydney Observatory. We had a few computers, and the women were actually the ones who would count the stars and position the stars from these photographic plates and actually come up with these whole catalog. And that is very important. It is very important because... Astronomers, men astronomers, of course, in those times, were just too busy thinking about oh, how we are going to get the observations and one getting the observations and then thinking about collecting the results and trying to get a better understanding of the universe. But th- no, we are not going to do any calculation because it mm. is just repetitive. It is just doing math and doing one addition and plus another subtraction and plenty of trigonometry. And... We can, we can, repetition, we don't need to do that. And that is why we're going to have someone else. Mm, the computers. Yeah, computers, who are going to be doing this job. Which, and, and I would argue that the computers did the real brunt work of astronomy. Oh, yeah, of course they did. Yeah. Of course they did. And they, 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 they knew a lot and they were able to get many of the very important discoveries that have been fundamental for astronomy in the 20th century. Exactly right. As we are going there in a moment. We actually did the research. We actually did the maths. and Because it <laughs> is playing with the numbers, getting the measurements, 
thinking about how to collect all this huge amount of data, which in some way they were starting to be not big data as they are now, but you know, there's going to be some large amount of numbers codified in columns to try to get uh, a sense of the trends, mm. what you can extract from all those numbers. Exactly right. And now moving on to the modern astrophysicists. Now, I know you know this person, and I need help saying her last name. Cecilia Payne-Gaposchkin? Gaposchkin, something like that. I have never, I, I, I usually don't say her second surname. Cecilia Payne? <laughs> it is just Cecilia Payne. Born in 1900 and lived until 1979. She did some really great stuff. And after attending the Sir Arthur Eddington's lecture on his 1919 expedition testing Einstein's gravitational theory of relativity, she was enrolled at the time at that university um, as Cambridge didn't actually grant women an opportunity to graduate with a full degree until 1948. Payne moved to the United States mm -hmm. to work under Harlow Shapley. Yeah. And I'm going to stop one moment there before continuing with the life, amazing life of Cecilia Payne, because that is very much connected with what we were talking about computers. Mm -hmm. You were mentioned the computers you had at Senior Observatory and some few other places and assistants like Caroline Herschel, that in some way she was doing also the calculations. Yes. I, I will say that the most famous computers, female computers, that we have had have been the computers in Harvard, at Harvard University and Harvard, the observatory at Harvard in the U.S. And that was starting with uh, Edward Pickering, mm -hmm. who was the director of the observatory in the late uh, 19th century. And he realized that having women doing the calculations was a good idea also because, they, of course, they were cheaper than men and they were easy to... You know, to work with them for whatever reason. Mm. One of the very first uh, person to work with him was Williamina Fleming. Oh. That she was originally her own assistant at home. Yeah. He, he started to ask her to do a bit of the calculations and more other women started to be involved in that. And there is an excellent book that is called The Glass Universe by Dava Sobel, very famous uh, journalist in the US, that is describing very nicely all the life and all the discoveries that uh, the computers at Harvard had with, oh. with all this, this history. Because there are very important astronomers, women astronomers, coming in the, into this story. It is not only uh, Wilhelmina Frenin or Cecilia Payne, as we have mentioned, mm -hmm. it is also Antonia Maury, Yep. And also um, very important Mary Cannon, that we are going to be talking a bit about that because we need the all the data that Mary Cannon took of the stars mm. in order that Cecilia Payne was able to get what she got. And also other astronomers as the very famous Henrietta Levitt, who provided the key thing for understanding the expansion of the universe. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. But they go by part. So now that I have tried to give this intro introduction about uh, women in, the, in, in, in Harvard University, these mm -hmm. computers, that they really spent a lot of time just observing photographic plagues. That was something very new in that moment, just being able to take photographs with mm. a telescope. I'm talking about the late, very late 19th century, 1880s, 1890s. And it was the first time that we were 
collecting photographs of all the sky and discovering things, and not only that, but also being able to measure very precisely the brightness of each star. So they were looking for variable stars, that was something very important in that, in that moment. Also, were the first to start doing spectroscopy. Oh. And that was in particular important for the job that Mary Cannon, that she did, because she started classifying the stars in several categories depending on the features that uh, she was able to see in the in the spectrum. Mm-hmm. The spectrum, the spectrum, it is the rainbow of yes. each star. It is not a continuum light, but it has the features depending on the elements and the kind of properties of the star. Mm. She was able to identify and observe more than half a million of these spectra. And, and it was her who came up with the O-B-A-F-G-K-N-N. That's amazing! It was, it was her, wow. the very first person to realize that there was a kind of a category, category, very broad category for the stars that you can fit every star that you see in the universe within this. I love the mnemonic for that as well, by the way. Dude, I'm sure there's plenty we, of them, but I, the one that I know is, oh, be a fine gentleman, kiss me now. Eh, I, like, <laughs> I like that, although for many years it was, oh, be a fine girl, That's kiss me right now. true. Whatever works for you, girl, gentleman, it works. Good. It's a way to remember it. Or guy. Or guy, yes. Exactly. So it was... In this amazing group of women, when in the 1920s, after Pickering passed away and the director of Harvard Observatory was Harlow Shapley, as you said before, when Cecilia Payne arrived into this amazing group of women. She actually became the first person to earn a PhD in astronomy from Radcliffe College. The first person, doesn't he? Not even just the first woman, just the first person. Yeah, that's incredible. That is incredible, uh, and also she was the very first woman having a PhD in astronomy. Mm. She's like my idol now. But do you know what? The phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's still buzzing away. <laughs> so do you do you know what Cecilia Payne did for her PhD? No, I don't. You don't. She was the very first person in the world to realize that the stars are made majoritarily by hydrogen and helium. Whoa! Which is the basic. That's, that's a fundamental thing about stars. The basic of our astronomy. Yeah. And how stars evolve. She realized that the classification that Annie Cannon did, with OB, a fine get kidney, mm-hmm. all of that corresponded to a scale in temperature in order that the O be the first the stars, first mm. they are very, very hot. Mm. And the, the latest uh, classes, the K, M, N, they were the coldest stars. And you can reproduce the spectrum that you see of a star just with the temperature mm. and considering that the majority of the star is hydrogen and helium. Yes. For me, Cecilia Payne is the real birth of astrophysics. That's right. She even inspired later female astrophysicists like Joan Feynman. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. Plenty, plenty. Many and paved the way for more women in the primarily male-dominated scientific community. Mm, she did very well. And she was promoting that very strongly, as, as they should. Again, I really want to emphasize this, that that PhD thesis that have been told that have been the most important PhD thesis ever written in astronomy, Cecilia Spain, Stellar Atmospheres, mm. although 
in the moment that she wrote that, her advisor about the PhD, it was not exactly PhD supervisor, it was not, it was a kind of committee of someone, the reviewer mm-hmm. of, the, of the thesis, Henry Dressel, he didn't agree with the result of her PhD. He really thought that Cecilia Payne was confused that she did something wrong in her calculation. And in some way, he not forced her, but it was because of that that Cecilia Payne added a last couple of lines to her PhD thesis saying, probably all these results are wrong because wow. there is something bad there. Wow. And it was a bit sad. How unfortunate. Yeah, it's because like, for... so degrading to her work. So for some few years... The idea was already in the in the air. It had to be more astronomers that at the end say, hey, that is the way it is. Mm. And now but, it's the whole new paradigm yeah. of astronomy. And that is what it is. And later, the recognition that the stars were made of hydrogen and helium were given to Russell. Wow. For many years. It has been now that in the last decade, a couple of decades, that we have been starting to restore Cecilia Payne, mm. a PhD, huge contribution. Give back the credit. Yeah, and give back the credit. It's amazing now that like, since she was such a, a prominent figure for young women in astronomy to go into astronomy and become female astrophysicists, that now the balance between male and female is actually getting much, much better in astronomy. Like at Sydney Observatory, we are 50-50, male to female. Mm-hmm, that's good. No, for, for a time here at the AAO, we have been also almost 50-50 mm. in research astronomers. It is, it is not the case for the people doing is- instrumentation or people engineering. Mm-hmm. But for astronomers, for some time, for some few years, we were 50-50. It's just amazing that we can advocate for this sort of thing and have try and have more women in astronomy or even more women in science in general in like the hard sciences like physics like with physics it's very very different in my class there's probably 30 males and five females but that is again it is the idea that we have that for something so difficult as math or physics or Mm. theoretical physics or something very abstract you have to be a male and it it is not, but that is also coming in our culture. So when we are talking to four or five years old kids, we are saying, oh, that is a girl. You are so pretty. You are doing so good. Oh, your princess dress, whatever. <laughs> and if you have a boy, you're talking to a boy, you're saying, wow, you are so clever. Look at you, what you are doing this. You are writing already. You are, you know, this, uh, it is we have to change the chip. That's right. Culturally, in all aspects. It is not only a problem in science. It is not a problem only, only in the different organization or administration. It is just a cultural problem that we have to accept that it doesn't matter if you are a woman or you are a man. Mm-hmm. You are able to do exactly the same. That's right. We're all able to do the same thing, like you're saying, and just... Go out there and celebrate the women in your life. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. We have been talking a bit about this. I would like to add, do you want to add uh, something else about uh, other astronomers? That brings me pretty much to the end of my little history lesson of well, women in astronomy. Well, we have, I would like to discuss two more astronomers, but perhaps we can leave it for another episode. 
Perhaps. Because these two astronomers also were very important. Sorry, astronomers. I was putting my Spanish pronunciation saying <laughs> astronomers. <laughs> <clears throat> these women astronomers, they were fundamental for the astronomy in the 20th century, particularly going into the distances, in, into the galaxies. And I think that they deserve that we talk long enough about them. So perhaps we can do that in the in the next episode. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Do we get a little hint on who they are? Of course, we will be talking about Henrietta Levitt and Vera Rubin. Ooh, yay! And yeah, and there will be many, many, many more, particularly in the last 50 years or so, with many important women that should have even deserved the Nobel Prize of Physics, and it was her PhD supervisor who got that. <clears throat> I'm talking about Jocelyn Bell, who was really the discoverer of pulsars. Yes. But there we go. That is our episode about the wonderful women in astronomy. Before we sign off for today, I'd just like to make a quick shout out to the Indigenous X Twitter page. This is the, since we alluded to it earlier in the episode, I have been hosting this page for the past week. Um, they essentially, it's a platform for Indigenous people to host the Twitter page, put their opinions out into the Twitter space and voice opinions about Indigenous culture, uh, Indigenous issues and stuff like that. I've been hosting it this week, but there'll be a different Indigenous person next week and the week after that and the week after that. I'd really recommend for everyone to follow this account because it's just an amazing platform to give Australian people, Indigenous First Nations people, their voices back. and Very important. Very important. Very important. And Angel, you can see that I'm wearing my Our Languages Matter shirt today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you before. I mm. didn't because you know that I'm respectful with many things. <laughs> but I like that T-shirt a lot. It's a great T-shirt. It's like a, for those who obviously can't see it because we're audio <laughs> podcast, um, uh, we'll post a photo for when we release this episode, but it's an uh, Aboriginal flag where all the the, in, the actual flag is made up of all the languages because that was our NADOC week uh, theme last year, Our Languages Matter. This year it's because of her we can, which is <laughs> awesome, <laughs> absolutely awesome. Um, so, yes, please go follow that page, Indigenous X, and support what I believe in, hopefully you believe in as well. We will do, well, although I think I'm doing it already. <laughs> I, I think you I are. should have been. I should have been doing it already for a while. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for our final sign-off, don't forget we have our own Twitter page at The Skyantists, as well as on Facebook, also at The Skyantists. And you can send us your feedback on Facebook or Twitter, also to our Gmail account, theskyantists at gmail.com. We will put out that poll about the tuning yeah, fork. Uh, I promise I will do it as the merry moment I'm releasing this episode. Yes. And we will see you in two weeks' time. Yeah. And don't forget, please, to get more feedback. Mm. And if you want to record your own questions, we are still trying to get the first, first one. Take the plunge, people. Yeah, yeah. Do it. <laughs> uh, and we will try to answer your question or at least provide uh, our thoughts about that in one coming episode of The Scientist. Excellent. And one last thing as well. Uh, this episode, all the information that I presented was based off the Women in Astronomy blog series from Sydney Observatory, written by my two very wonderful 
uh, colleagues, Ragda and Nu, both wonderful women who have actually taken the time out of their days and out of their lives to write these amazing blog posts and put all this information out there so that we could talk about it today. Okay, well, thank you for listening and keep looking up. That's right, look up. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.